Today on the Matt Wall Show, Joe Biden continues to fall apart mentally and physically. This is the consequence of putting a senile man in the White House. Is it time to talk seriously about putting an upper age limit on the presidency? Why haven't we talked seriously about that already? Also, five headlines, including a plan in Oakland to give $500 monthly checks to, to poor families, except the white ones. Another example of systemic racism against whites. And Sesame Street gets racially woke, plus a new mask that you can wear while you eat. Unless you have self-respect and dignity, that is, in which case, of course, you won't wear it. In our daily cancellation, I will once again have to cancel the people who are trying to cancel me. A reverse cancellation, always a thrill. All that and much more today on The Matt Wall Show. As it turns out, it may not have been the best idea to put a 78-year-old dementia patient in the White House. Who could have possibly predicted that? Well, anyone could have, and many of us did. We've only just begun to experience the consequences of having a mentally and physically unfit person as commander-in-chief. The embarrassing display during Biden's first press conference on Thursday was the latest embarrassment that he has brought upon himself and thus upon, upon the country, and it certainly won't be the last. The media is, of course, making things as easy as it can for our senile president by posing questions like, and I'm not making this up, questions like, are immigrants coming here because you're such a good and decent man? That is only a slight paraphrase. Here's how it was actually phrased. Let's listen. Thanks so much, Mr. President. Um, you've said over and over again that immigrants shouldn't come to this country right now. This isn't the time to come. That message is not being received. Instead, the perception of you that got you elected as a moral, decent man is the reason why a lot of immigrants are coming to this country and entrusting you with unaccompanied minors. How do you resolve that tension? And how are you choosing which families can stay and which can, can go, given the fact that even though with Title 42, there are some families that are staying? And is there a timeline for when we won't be seeing these overcrowded facilities with, run by CPB when it comes to unaccompanied minors? Well, look, I guess I should be flattered. People are coming because I'm the nice guy. That's the reason why it's happening, that I'm a decent man or however it's phrased. That, you know, that's why they're coming, because, no, Biden's a good guy. Yes, uh, Mr. President, follow, Mr. President, Mr. President, follow-up question. Um, you, you, uh, it, it strikes me that you're a, a very good-looking, handsome man. Thoughts? Thoughts on that? Our media holding feet to the fire, as always. But their efforts couldn't save Biden from his, himself as he stumbled, mumbled, bumbled his way through the short exchange with his obedient press corps. At one point, the president claimed that he came to the United States Senate 120 years ago. Let's listen to that. With regard to the filibuster, I believe we should go back to a position of the filibuster that existed just when I came to the United States Senate 120 years ago. Um, and that is that... Now, that claim is closer to the truth than it ought to be. I mean, it wasn't 120 years ago, but it was not far from that. Uh, his math is still a little bit off the mark, though. And that was far from the most alarming incident. At another point, the president began to answer a question, trailed off into unintelligible rambling, stopped abruptly, and picked up with a new thought. Here's what that sounded like. I'm going to say something outrageous. I have never been particularly poor at calculating how to get things done in the United States Senate. So the best way to get something done, if you, if it holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to Anyway, 
I'm, we're going to get a lot done. And if we have to, if there's complete lockdown and chaos as a consequence of the filibuster, then we'll have to go beyond what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, hang on. Uh, sorry. Oh, Ms. Kim. Well, that was outrageous. He was right about that. Now, here's the transcript of that moment. Sometimes I, I think it helps to, to, to hear it again so we can understand just how incoherent it was. He says, I'm going to say something outrageous. I have never been particularly poor at calculating how to get things done in the United States Senate. So the best way to get something done, if you, if you hold near and dear to, to you that you uh, um, like to be able to, anyway, I, we're going to get a lot done. Now, if this was the first time that Biden had stumbled in this way, we might just assume that he didn't have enough coffee that morning or he was especially distracted for whatever reason. But this kind of thing happens all the time, not slips of the tongue, but divergences into full on incoherence. And it's getting worse. Remember, it was only a few days ago that Biden proved himself incapable of safely navigating a flight of steps. Now he's standing on national television claiming that he entered the Senate in the year 1901. It now seems to be a question not of whether Kamala Harris will be the one finishing out Biden's term, but when exactly she will take over. Another question, if Biden becomes entirely incapacitated, assuming he isn't already at that point, will we be informed of that? When will we be informed? How can we have any confidence that they'll tell us the truth about Biden's condition in the future if they clearly aren't telling us the truth right now? All of the ingredients for a catastrophic constitutional crisis are present. They were already baked into the cake the moment that a 78-year-old man was inaugurated. And this, this ought to be the last time we allow that to happen. In a sane country, laws and amendments would be passed to ensure that this does not happen again. Quite simply, it is madness to allow a man like this to become president of the United States. Leaving aside my personal and political feelings about Joe Biden... I mean, I, I wouldn't want him to be president even if he was 30 years younger, admittedly. But th there could never be a good reason to put a person so old into the highest and most important political office in the land. Even if Biden were not already showing clear signs of mental regression, it would still be the case that one in seven people over the age of 70 have dementia. One in seven. The percentages only get higher as you get older, and it certainly can't help your case if you happen to be in one of the most physically and mentally demanding jobs in existence. About 2 million people with dementia in this country are age 85 or older. But there are only 7 million people total in that age bracket. What this means is that mental deterioration is, is very common for older people and only becomes more common the older they get. If a man is elected president at 78, again, even pretending that he, he has his wits fully about him at the point that he's elected, there's a very significant probability that he will lose his mind before his first term is completed. It is very, very probable. If, if he does not you know, lose only his mind, he may likely lose his life in the intervening years as well. The life expectancy for a 78-year-old man is nine years. Okay? Uh, so if you're at 78 most likely you've got nine years left, if not less. And that, again, doesn't factor in the unique stresses and burdens of the job. They get to that life expectancy of nine years for 78-year-old people, but they're measuring this based on the majority of 78-year-old people who are retired and are living lives of uh, relative leisure. 
we don't allow anyone under the age of 35 to run for president. And I've rarely heard anyone complain about that age restriction. In fact, I've never heard anyone complain about it. Never. Yet, the risk inherent in having a decrepit president are much, much greater than the risks of having a spry, young 32-year-old in office. If we're ruling out the 32-year-old on the basis of his age alone, it doesn't make any sense that we refuse to rule people out on the other end of the age spectrum. There should be an upper age limit on the presidency just as there is on the, a lower limit. We could be generous, and so we could talk about what the age limit should be. Um, we could be generous. We could put the cap at 75. Uh, you could go younger. You can make an argument for younger. And this would give every American 40 years between 35 and 75 to take their shot at the presidency if they desire. Can't get it done in four decades. It wasn't meant to be. Go home and play with your grandchildren. It'll be better for you. It'll be better for the country. It'll be better for your grandchildren. I realize this age limit will never be put in place. I mean, this is this is um, not ever going to happen because it would it would have to be put in place by politicians who are willingly limiting their own chance to become president. There are maybe a handful, maybe a handful of politicians in D.C. with the integrity to support such a self-limiting policy, and we need a lot more than a handful to get this done. Um, that's the reason it won't happen. But it's a bad reason. Is there any good reason? to keep the cap off of the presidency? Is there any ethically or logically sound argument for allowing 80-year-olds and 90-year-olds the chance to take office, even as we deny 30-year-olds the same chance? I can't see what the argument would be. I've never heard anyone present it, yet in my experience, even now, the, the, the idea of putting an upper age limit on the presidency is relatively unpopular. We're watching our president fall apart mentally and physically right in front of us. But that hasn't convinced many Americans that there's necessarily anything wrong with putting a very elderly person in the White House. Perhaps that shouldn't be surprising. If the last year has taught us anything, it's that we as a culture are in denial about our own mortality and the inevitability of our own death. This with Biden, the fact that we have a 78-year-old president, perhaps ironically, is a symptom of that. This is something only a culture in denial about death and mortality could be stupid enough to put a 78-year-old man in office. We, we like to say things like, uh, age is just a number. And I've heard that about Biden so many times when I brought this up. People say to me, age is just a number. No, it isn't. What kind of silly nonsense is that? It's a lot more than a number. It is a reality about you physically. Age represents many significant things. One of them is proximity to death. As you get older, you get closer and closer to the end of your life. That's the reality. That process of getting closer to the end of your life, the process of dying, is merciless and unrelenting. And it's not fun as your mind and your body progressively degenerate. There are certain realities, right, that come with being mortal creatures. Many of those realities are not especially enjoyable. This is one such unenjoyable reality. We all die. The older we get, the closer we come to our deaths. The closer we come to our death, the more that our bodies and minds disintegrate. This is a true story, but it's not the one we prefer to tell ourselves. Our preferred story is one where 
Age has no meaning. Our bodies and brains will never fail us. We will never die. And anyone of any age is capable of doing anything and holding any job. And to say otherwise is to display bigotry and ageism ageism, and, and a, a severe lack of optimism on top of it. Now, I confess, I prefer that story, too. The one where we don't die and our bodies and minds never fail us and we get to live forever. I love that story. But it's a fantasy. And in the long run, it's better to live in reality. And better to vote there, too, I think. Now let's get to our five headlines. Before we get to five headlines, I want to tell you about our sponsors, MyPillow. You know, I have this uh, opinion that appears to be controversial where, you know, I, I think that the most important ingredient in a sandwich is the bread. That's really what pulls it all together. You can't have a good sandwich without good bread. It's not the meat. It's the bread that matters. Well, with sleeping, maybe this is less controversial. The most important ingredient is the pillow. More than anything else, it comes down to the pillow. If you don't have a good pillow, then you're not going to get into good night's sleep. And that's why you need MyPillow. MyPillow products don't go flat. You can wash. You can dry them as many times as you want, and they maintain your, their shape, and you better be washing them, you dirty, dirty, disgusting people. And best of all, they're made in the USA. Um, and if you don't have a MyPillow or you know someone who doesn't have them, now is the time to get one because for a limited time, MyPillow is offering their premium MyPillows for their lowest price ever. You can get a queen-size premium MyPillow, which is usually $69.98 for only $29.98. That's a $40 savings that you get. Kings are only $5 more. Now's the time to buy. Don't put it off anymore. You're, you're, not only are you getting the lowest price ever, but they're the best gifts ever. $29.98 for a queen-size premium MyPillow. So now's the time to do it. Go to MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listener square. They'll, there you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also discounts on all MyPillow products, including the, the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and MyPillow towel sets. Or call 800-651-1148 and use promo code DAILYWIRE. All right. Well, uh, this is from the Daily Mail. It says a program to give $500 monthly checks to low-income families of color in Oakland, California, has been criticized for explicitly excluding the 10,000 white residents living in poverty in the city. You think? The uh, lottery system funded by private philanthropists will see the no-strings-attached checks go to households with an annual income of less than $59,000 if they have at least one child. Uh, the other half of the $500 checks will go to those earning under $30,000. So under $59,000 with one child is poverty now, apparently. Um, according to data from an Oakland Equity Indicators report cited by officials to justify favoring people of color, white households um, earn about three times that of African-American ones. The same report states that around 8% of the city's white residents, approximately 10,000 people, live in poverty. This is the excuse they're giving. And this is how weak the excuse, of course, it, it, this is racism, and uh, the excuses for racism are always weak. I've never heard a good excuse to be racist, this is, and this is, is no exception. So their excuse is, we're only giving this to, um, to poor black families and not white families because most of the poor families are black. Well, okay, but there are poor white families. So for those specific cases, why are they out of luck? Why don't they get anything? There might be fewer of them, but if you're a, a, a poor white family living in Oakland, the fact that there aren't as many other poor white families, what does that do for you? How does that help you? But is it, is it, is it emotional solace where you can look around and say, well, you know, 
At least my race, generally speaking, is doing pretty well. Sorry, kids. I know you're not going to eat tonight, but uh, you should know. The white family down the street, they're doing real well. I hope that makes you feel better. Of course not. This, this is out and out, in your face racism. And uh, this, this also, it's kind of helpful because this shows us not only what racism looks like, uh, and that's not reverse racism, but plain old racism. No such thing as reverse racism, racism, racism. But this also shows us what, this is what systemic racism looks like. Systemic institutional racism. Okay. Um, this, this is what it is. A very helpful demonstration for us. And so when we hear about alleged systemic racism against black people, if it doesn't look kind of like this, it's not systemic racism. What, what are the two hallmarks here? One, we are, in this case, a specific race of people are being explicitly singled out for a disadvantage. They are being disadvantaged explicitly based on their race. It is right there. It's in writing. If you're a white family, you don't get this. That's how we know it's racist. And we know it's systemic because it's literally a system. They're putting a system in place to give these benefits to some families and not others. And the ones who don't get it, it's because of their race. That is systemic racism. Now, what you notice about really all of the claims um, in modern day of systemic racism against black people, what you notice is that you, you don't have both of those factors together. And usually you don't even have one. Because the left will point to something and say that's systemic racism against black people. Yet you don't, yet, yet black people are not being explicitly singled out. So, for example, they'll look at the incarceration rates and they'll say, you know, there are more black people being sent to prison. But there's no law saying that if you're black, you're, you're going you're gonna to face a worse punishment. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing in the system saying if you're, if you're this race, this is the punishment. If you're that race, here's the punishment over here. That would be racism, obviously, and systemic. But that's not the case here. There's, a, there's an inequality in the outcome. Um, in terms of how many people end up in prison, depending on race. But that's not, that's not because there's a, there's a law in place saying that if you're this race, you have to go to prison for longer, or you're going to get this and that uh, punishment. Now, you can, you can theorize that, yeah, although, although it doesn't say that, uh, really underneath all of this, there's still racism and it's buried down there somewhere. Okay, that's your theory, and now you got to prove that. You have, you have to, you, you can't, you can't simply notice inequality of outcome among races in a particular area and state, assert that it's because of racism without proving it. In a case like this in Oakland, I don't have to prove anything. It's right there in writing. If you're white, you don't get it. That's systemic racism for you. All right. Um, from the New York Post, it says, Maya Ponsetto, who the woman dubbed Soho Karen after she falsely accused a black teenager of swiping her cell phone, is now being sued by the boy's family over the high-profile incident. We talked about that on this show. Um, jazz trumpeter Keon Harold, his 15-year-old son, and the teen's mom on Wednesday filed the suit against Ponsetto and a worker at the Arlo Soho Hotel, where the December 26th violent incident of racial profiling occurred. You remember Ponsetto was uh, caught on video claiming that teen 
Keon Harold Jr. took her phone and then tried to tackle him in the lobby of the Hudson Street Hotel. Um, and turns out he, he didn't take the phone. He was being falsely accused. Um, now she's being sued on a number of things. Let's see. The Manhattan Supreme Court suit accuses Ponsetto and hotel worker Chad Nathan of assault, battery, intentional infliction of emotional distress, and false imprisonment and the hotel of negligence and negligent hiring. All right. This family, they're really milking this thing for all, it, all it's worth. I, I, I don't doubt it was, it's, a, it's a, a disturbing and upsetting thing when a crazy woman accosts you in the hotel lobby. You know, and I, but I think for most people, you have an experience like that. And I've encountered crazy people before um, in, in my life. And usually what happens is you have this encounter with a crazy person and then, you, you know, you go about and you live the rest of your life and it becomes a story that you tell sometimes um, when, you know, at a, at a, at a, at a party or something uh, becomes a funny story. I think that's most people. But this family, they said, no, of course, we're going to we're going to use this, um, this, this unpleasant in- encounter. When, when nobody was injured or harmed in any way. Um, this woman was totally in the wrong, of course, but unpleasant. But she's she's mentally unstable. It's very clear. So an unpleasant encounter with uh, a mentally unstable woman in which nobody was harmed in any way whatsoever. We're going to use this and we're going to get rich off of it. And that's what they're trying to do. And uh, they're, they're, they're throwing the hotel worker into it also. What did he do? He just happened to be there. It's not his fault. You know, he's, he's not equipped to deal with a crazy person losing her mind. He's working at a hotel. He's not a, you know, he's not a crisis counselor at a mental institution. But we're supposed to, yeah, I guess we're supposed to still see the family as a, a, a victim uh, that warrants, you know, making millions of dollars. False imprisonment. What? How? How? She, she imprisoned the kid now? In what way? All right, number three, uh, Sesame Street has introduced some new Muppet characters, um, these are, we're, we're told they're black Muppets, although not really because puppets don't have a race. But, uh, and their job is to teach kids about race and racism. And CBS has the report on that. Let's listen. Sesame Street is introducing two new black Muppets as part of its initiative to tackle racism. Things on the outside, like our skin color, our hair texture, uh-huh. our noses, oh. <laughs> <laughs> our mouths and eyes make us who we are. Many people call this race, but even though we look different, we're all part of the human race. (laughs) Five-year-old Wes and his father Elijah sat down with Elmo to talk about race and what it means. The things on the outside make us who we are. (laughs) That is the opposite of what I was told growing up. That's the opposite of what Sesame, watching Sesame Street as a kid. It's the opposite of what the message always was. Literally the opposite. We were told it's, it, that was what was drained, drilled into your head as a kid. Uh, what, what's on the outside doesn't make you who you are. So it, what's, it's what's on the inside that matters, right? That was the message. And now they've completely flipped it around and said, no, never mind. You know what? Actually, it is all. Your identity is skin deep, it turns out. This is from uh, Sesame Workshop. They, have, they are, are explaining what they're doing here, and, and this is what they're saying. Quote, Sesame Workshop has always stood for diversity, inclusion, equity, and kindness. As a trusted source for families, we have a responsibility to speak out for racial justice and empower families to have conversations about race and identity with their children at a young age. 
Uh, no, actually, you don't have a responsibility to speak out for racial justice. You are a show about puppets and a giant bird. So you, you, you don't have that responsibility at all. Your responsibility, if you have any, it's to teach kids the ABCs and the one, two, threes. That's pretty much the extent of it. It continues, the work to dismantle racism begins by helping children understand what racism is and how it hurts and impacts people. Sadly, today's announcement comes at a time of racial and social discord when many families are in need of support and talking to their children about racism. And that's what they need a puppet for. We're proud to reaffirm our coming together commitment to racial justice, which will be woven into the new Sesame, Sesame Workshop content for years to come. Um, you know what you should tell your kids about race and racism? Especially if they're, if they're at an age where they're watching Sesame Street, if they're at the Sesame Street age, which is what, like three to, I don't know, eight or nine. You know what you should tell, tell them about race and racism? Um, nothing. You should tell them nothing about it. You shouldn't bother them with it. You should let them be kids. Let them be children. Instead of foisting all of this on them. That's what you should do. That is, that's what you would do if you actually wanted kids to live in some kind of racial harmony uh, with, with other kids and to, and to not really worry about the races of other kids. And just, if you wanted kids to, to get along with each other and um, worry about what really matters and, and all of that, that's what you would do. You wouldn't bother them with this. But of course, the people behind this, critical race theorists and so on, that's not what they want. They want despite what we're told here, what we're told here is they want to get rid of division and discord. That's, ex that's, that's not at all. That's the, the opposite is true. They, they want to sow division and discord and they want to do it at a young age. And they want our kids to define themselves by what's on the outside and to define each other by what's on the outside and to split off into little groups and have their own tribes. That's what they want. And the sad thing is that that's probably what they're going to get. It'll probably succeed. Um, okay, another viral. We got a couple videos I have to show. Um, none of them that I really that I really want to, but I, I have to, unfortunately. So another viral TikTok video to show you. This one from a woman uh, ranting about anti-maskers, and the pro-maskers love this one. It went viral online, and here, here's what she has to say. Let's watch. To the people who refuse to wear masks at this point. We are done with you. It's not up for discussion. You can't come in. Get the f out. No, you don't get to explain your point of view. It's irrelevant. You can't go topless or shoeless in a store and now you can't go maskless. Why? Because we're trying to ruin your freedoms? No, because the rules have changed because reality has changed. No one cares if you don't believe in asymptomatic spread. No one gives a that you're just there for a couple things. It doesn't matter if you don't think it's fair. That is how it is. A functioning civilized society has rules. You don't get to pick and choose which ones you want to follow because you wear your seatbelt, drive the speed limit, and wear this goddamn piece of fabric over your nose and mouth if you're going out in public. The end. F off. And if you still think it's not such a big deal, then go volunteer at a hospital or a morgue because those employees are absolutely freaking exhausted because people like you keep making everyone sick and their jobs harder, okay? Honestly, pull your shit together. Are they exhausted? You know, they, they've been making music videos and TikTok videos this whole time. In fact, we'll have one of those coming up in here in a minute. This, uh, this is the whole argument. Right, what you just heard there. And it's, it's, it's really funny to me to hear this from the left now where they say, 
The society has rules. This is the, they used to position themselves as the rebels in the counterculture. And now they're the ones screaming, society has rules. Damn it. Obey the rules. Again, going back to when I was a kid growing up, I remember uh, bumper stickers that would, in the, in the bumper sticker slogan was question everything. And you see that on cars a lot. A lot of the, the people now who are wearing the mask and paranoid about it. I told you a few days ago, the, the, the guy that when I got on the elevator without a mask and he, and he went storming off, whimpering and afraid. I bet you that, that guy, when he was younger, he had one of those bumper stickers, question everything. The people that had the question everything bumper sticker, now this is their approach. They went from question everything to obey the rules, damn it. Don't ask questions. We don't care about your questions, your point of view. Do it because we say so. That's it. We're not going to tell you why. That's why I, I appreciate that. The pro-maskers are sharing that video. And I'm glad that they are because that is, you, you, you saw there, there's no, there's no argument presented. There's no reason given. She's not coming with statistics, for example, showing us or, or percentages or data showing us how likely it actually is that an asymptomatic person will spread COVID. Not bothering with that. In fact, she's not going to show us, those, she doesn't want us to see those numbers. Not going to help her case. Instead, it's go along with the program, shut up, and, and do it because we say so. These are the these these are the counterculture rebel counterculture rebels. This is what they've this is what has become of them. Quite sad to see. And I was never a big fan of bumper stickers, but and I never had the question everything bumper sticker, but I like that one. That is actually, as far as bumper sticker slogans go, that's a good one. That's about as good as a bumper sticker slogan is going to get, actually. Question everything. You should. That doesn't mean that you should walk around every day unsure and never drawing any conclusions whatsoever. But anytime you, you, you face a new idea, um, a new proposition, uh, a new policy that's put in place, a law, whatever it is, your first thing should be to question it. To, to, and, and the question is very simple. Why? Why are, we, why are we doing this? Why is this in place? Why is this claim being made? Yeah, question. But not anymore. Don't question everything, accept everything, and shut up. All right, speaking of masks, CBS News has this story about uh, a new kind of mask that you can wear while eating. Um, and this is a problem. Now, I've been on planes and, uh, and, and, and even in restaurants where I've seen, maybe you've seen as well, a little bit less common in restaurants, but I see this on planes all the time where people, they, they'll wear the, the full mask and they'll pull the mask down. I was watching someone yesterday, this, this weekend on a plane doing this. They had a, a bag of um, peanuts and they had the mask on. They would pull the mask down, put one peanut in the mouth, pull the mask up, chew and swallow, mask down, another peanut, and just that whole process. Uh, but there's a solution now. And let's play this video here. Here is the solution. You see there, the mask, just there's a just the mask over the nose. This is a new thing. It's it's just been introduced. I don't know if you can get it online yet. If you're excited, maybe. 
Um, so the idea is that you're going to wear two masks, and one is a normal mask over the mouth and nose, and then you're going to wear a second mask. Or maybe this will be your third, because you're wearing two regular masks, and then a third one where it's the mask just over the nose. And then when you want to eat, you take off the two bigger masks, and you have only the mask over the nose, and you can eat. What I love about that is that it looks exactly like a clown nose. And that is, it, it, you know, pardon the pun, but it's a, it's a little bit too on the nose, in fact. Because yes, you do, if, if the, that, that is what a clown would do. So if you're worried, you can always do that. Wear the mask over the nose. Unless, as I said, you have anything like dignity, self-respect, in which case. In which case, you'll take the mask off and eat like a normal human being. Okay, finally, I got to play this too. I know we're, we're playing video after video here, but I got to, I, I, I have to do this. Um, it, you know that, that I have no choice but to do it because the boomers, they won't stop making music videos for TikTok, which means if they're not going to stop making them, I can't stop showing them. I have no, this is my responsibility. Sesame Street has their responsibility to talk about race. This is my responsibility to play you the music videos that boomers make for TikTok. And here's the latest one put together by a, a doctor's office. And here's what they've got. Let's watch. Remember, these, these medical professionals are exhausted. We just heard that from the mask lady. They're exhausted. They've been working so hard. I bet they are exhausted after shooting this music video. It looks pretty exhausting. I'm just trying to imagine going to the doctor's office for some legitimate ailment, ailment, and you walk in and, the, and you, you find the doctor in a wig and a, and a disco outfit Um with a big prop syringe dancing through the hallways. What are you going to think? You're going to think this guy's psychotic, which, and your, your assumption will be true. So there it is. I had, I, I did my part and I showed it to you and uh, we'll, we'll try to move on as best we can. Let's go to reading the YouTube comments. Jesse Richard says, Matt seems like the kind of stern father that still adheres to middle school rules. Like I called it and dares. If you've been banned from the show, I'd imagine all it would take is a triple dog dare for him to unban you. And Matt would be obliged to do it. This is so on point. You, you have distilled me down to my essence right here. Because that, you, that is actually exactly right. I understand myself better now after reading that YouTube comment. A stern father who adheres to middle school rules. That is, that is true. That's, that's who I am. Stern father, but also immature in some really strange ways. And it's, it makes for an odd combination. Um, I do, for example, my, my kids, I have them to decide who has to do what chore. I have them do rock, paper, scissors for that. That's my idea. I tell them that's the requirement to do rock, paper, scissors. 
Those kinds of things. I, I still I believe in those rules. Rock, paper, scissors, call it, shotgun, all that. I live by that. I will die by it. Um, let's see. The other comment says, Matt, you're always ranting and raving about cats and dogs. You should get a bird. They're neat. They're clever. They can fly. And some even talk. You would like them. First of all, the last thing I need is another talking creature in the house. The fact that they can talk is not a positive for me. That's not a selling point. When you say, well, here's, here's an animal that, uh, uh, you know, they got all the disadvantages of a cat and dog, but also they make more noise. Oh, gee, well, let me go get one then. Um, I will say, though, I saw a study yesterday. Well, I didn't actually read the study, but I saw the headline. And the headline was that, um, according to the study, birds give people as much happiness as money. That's the claim anyway. And I can see how that'd be true if the bird is bringing you money. But outside of that, I I don't see it. Um, Finally, Matt, now that you've effectively banished all of your viewers except me, do I get a prize? Asking for a handout. That's what you're doing. You know what that gets you. Banned from the show, of course. We've been talking a lot about the Constitution and gun rights this week, uh, and it's, it's always an extremely important topic, um, never more so than, than right now in this moment. And conservatives, you know, we say we love the Constitution. We say we, we care so much about, about gun rights and all the rights that the Constitution affords us. Yet, um, how many of us have actually taken the time to study it? How many of us stand ready to defend it? Well, my friends over at constitutioncoach.com have a lot of great programs for equipping citizens to defend liberty by studying and living out the Constitution. I just experienced, I've been telling you about the Constitutional Defense Course. I came away from that, you know, not only understanding more about the Constitution, but also understanding a lot more about firearms and how to use them, being more comfortable with them, being able to defend myself and my family. That's a responsibility that uh, I believe that I have as as an American, as a man, to defend myself and my family. And I feel much more able to do that now. You can do this too. You can get an amazing combination of intellectual ammunition and live classes with Rick, with Rick Green, America's Constitution coach, and then also get physical training at the premier firearms training facility in the nation, all in the same course. You get to join hundreds of other patriots from across the nation for a time of learning, training, and fellowship with like-minded people. Don't just get a gun. you got to learn how to use it. Go to constitutioncoach.com. With all the instability in the U.S. these days, this training is more important than ever. Rick and the Constitution Coach team have another class on April 25th, but it will fill up fast, so visit constitutioncoach.com today and watch my video there to find out more about how you can be a part of this one-of-a-kind training, constitutioncoach.com. Well, get excited because tonight is the premiere of episode two of Candace, Daily Wire's new talk show hosted by Candace Owens. It's coming uh, yet again. We had the first episode last week. This is episode number two. It's going to be great. The show will live stream over at dailywire.com at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, featuring special guests John Rich, Bryson Gray, Brandon Tatum, and Daily Wire's own Michael Knowles. So tune in, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central. If you're not a member yet, go to dailywire.com slash subscribe and get 25% off with a new membership with code Candace. That's dailywire.com slash subscribe and get 25% off with code Candace. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So we have another reverse cancellation. This is where I'm, I'm being canceled, but at the last minute in a dramatic turn of events, I, I managed to evade my cancelers and turn the cancellation back around on them. A highly specialized and devastating maneuver. Today it begins with news out of Georgia. We're reading now from the Daily Wire. It says, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp signed the Republican-backed Election Integrity Act of 2021, or SB 202, into law Thursday as Democratic lawmakers protested the bill. The legislation seeks to tighten up elections and reduce fraud by enforcing conformity across the state, amping up voter ID, 
restricting drop boxes and expanding in-person voting, among additional election-related overhauls. The bill's provisions add ID requirements for absentee by mail ballots. When Georgians return their ballots, they'll be required to use a form of identification, identification to verify who they are. As noted by NPR, this change, quote, replaces the controversial method that as election workers match signatures on applications and ballot envelopes with those on file. SB202 also expand, expands in-person voting access. Kemp's signing of the bill sparked protests from Democratic representatives. Democratic representative Park Cannon was detained by Georgia State Patrol after she made it to an entrance of the governor's office. She was escorted out of the building in handcuffs, but it remains unclear if Cannon will be charged with anything. All right. Now, we must say, first of all, thank you to the police officers who arrested the insurrectionist Park Cannon. She was trying to interfere with the democratic process, and in so doing, she represented a profound threat to our democracy and our way of life. Truly, March 25th, 2021, will live forever in our memories as, that, as the day that a violent insurrectionist nearly destroyed our whole system of government, if not for the efforts of our brave uniformed officers and of the steely determination of Governor Kemp, who is no doubt traumatized by the whole affair. Maybe he can do an Instagram live video and tell us about it. More to the point, as for the bill itself, I consider it to be a good start. Many on the left are saying that it it will prevent people from voting. It'll do no such thing. There's no reason why anyone who wants to vote should be stopped from voting by a bill like this. But personally, as you know, if you listen to this show, I am unapologetically in favor of stopping people from voting. The accusation is that we on the right want to disenfranchise people. The thing is, what I'll say to that is, yeah, I do. Not all people. Let me be clear. I don't want to disenfranchise everyone, just most people, like many millions. I think that one of the greatest crises our our system of government faces, perhaps the crisis, is that the course of our country and our political system is decided by hordes of people um, and a large percentage of whom have absolutely no idea what they're doing, why they're doing it, what's going on, who they're actually voting for, or anything else. That's why I favor testing, perhaps other requirements as well, to ensure that that only those Americans who are informed and competent are able to vote. As I've explained many times, voting is not a God-given right. It's a privilege, and it's a privilege that should only be exercised by those who are most fit to do so. I take that position because I care about our country and our system. I would submit that if you want to encourage the hordes of ignoramuses who have no idea what they're doing, if you want to encourage them to stumble into the voting booth or not even stumble in, just send in a a ballot randomly making a selection with no basis of knowledge or information underlying that selection, you are the one who has no respect for our system, our way of life, our democracy. Now, I realize that my view is seen as heresy in our country today, and it's very upsetting uh, for people to hear it. But You know, the good thing for me is that I don't really give a damn what anyone thinks or how they feel. So I'll continue saying it. I made this case yet again on Twitter last night in response to the Georgia bill. And lots of people were upset, as you'd expect. The primary complaint or accusation is that I'm racist. And of course, that's anytime people disagree with you, that's going to be their primary thing that they say in response. No matter what your opinion is, they're going to call it racist. But many of the people in the outrage mob, and, and this happens whenever I raise this subject, um, accuse me of racism for saying that only competent and informed people should be voting. 
But calling my position on that subject racist is frankly the most racist thing I've ever heard. Why would you assume that a test measuring basic voter competency would have the effect of disenfranchising minorities? What? Tell me why you assume that. Strikes me as a deeply bigoted assumption. And let's remember, it's your assumption, not mine. I have no opinion about how the different races would perform on a test like this. I have no preference either. I don't care what your color your skin is when you go to vote. doesn't matter to me. I only care that you're informed and engaged. That's it. I think we could change our country for the better dramatically. We could, we could, we could have a, a, almost a utopia. Maybe not quite a utopia, but we can get as close as we possibly can get to it if you just made this simple change of weeding out the ignorant people who have no business in the voting booth. Any race, it doesn't matter. I also believe that anyone of any race is perfectly capable of being informed and engaged, especially these days, because the internet gives us all, all gives us all the access to all the information we need. You carry around in your pocket every day a portal to to all of the accumulated knowledge and information mankind has to offer. You have it in your pocket on this device. There's no excuse to be uninformed in the year 2021. Anyone can know anything. Now, the fact that we use this thing not to make ourselves informed, but to make ourselves dumber, well, that's our choice. It doesn't have to be that way. It takes only minimal effort to become informed, and anyone is capable of expending that effort. Those who can't be bothered shouldn't vote. Those who assume that racial minorities are less capable or less interested in informing themselves are, again, racist. This is the bigotry of low expectations on steroids. It's degrading. It's insulting. It's like if you're a man and you ask another guy to, to, to hand you a jar of pickles, and right before he hands it to you, he says, here, let me get this open for you. There you go. That's not a backhanded favor. It's just a backhand. And this is how white leftists treat minorities. And, and they do this while calling for equality and accusing their opposition of interfering with the very equality that they oppose. I believe in total equality in the voting booth. That is Every competent adult should be able to vote. Black, white, whatever, I don't care. However that cookie crumbles, whatever the racial makeup of the electorate ends up being after we test for competency, competency, well, that's how it is. If it ends up that I can't vote because, as my critics accuse me, I'm advocating for competent voting while being an incompetent moron myself, so be it. If that's the case. I'm not playing favorites. I hold everyone to the same standard. If you don't, then I'd say that you're the one with a bigotry problem. You're also the one who, I'm afraid to say, is canceled. And we'll leave it there for today and for this week. Hope you have a great weekend. Talk to you on Monday. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Koromina. 
Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva, and our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2021. Hey, everybody, this is Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, some people are depressed because the republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Claven Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Claven Show and laugh your way through the fall of the republic with me, Andrew Claven. <laughs> 